What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, hello there, friends, and welcome back to Mask of Sanity. Yay! I'm your host, Melanie Peterson, and today we're going to pick up right where we left off last week with part two of the case of Robert Ben Rhodes. Now, last week, we covered his upbringing right up through what I'm using as pretty much his final breaking point when his third wife, Deborah, finally walked out and seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back not blaming her at all, but it was going to happen one way or the other. It just happened to be right after they had their huge blow up that sent him right back out onto the road. And that fight has landed us right at the beginning of his final crime spree. Now, don't worry, they're going to catch this bastard in the end, so just stick with me. And to be clear, I'm giving you all a major major trigger warning for this second part. The things that I'm going to be talking about are absolutely horrible. And while I'll try to keep them under control, I'm not going to go into extreme detail. Um, just enough to give you an idea of the brutality that these men and women went through to really understand the savageness of his actions. You know, some parts may be a bit stomach turning, but you've been warned already. You know, are you ready? I really hope you are. I hope I am. So pop that cork, brew pot, cozy up under a comforter, whatever moves your groove, and let's get this show on the road. I'm going to go through his timeline of murders and kidnappings from January 1990 up until his arrest on April 1st of that same year. October 1989, Deborah walks out. She's had enough and Rhodes goes back on the road. His eyes are set on inflicting the most awful things possible on whatever unsuspecting victim comes into his path. Now in November, 1989, Patricia Candace Walsh and Douglas Scott Ziskowski were hitchhiking newlyweds. They had left their home of Seattle, Washington in November to hitchhike across the country to the state of Georgia. Both were said to be deeply religious. They were planning to preach about Christianity once they reached their destination. Unfortunately, neither of them would make it. Rhodes picked them up near El Paso, Texas in January 1990 after claiming that he was on a long haul and that his route took him near where they were wanting to go. Absolute lie. Based on reports, 
Rhodes killed Ziskowski very soon after they were picked up by shooting him and then discarding his body in Ozona, Texas. It's a very small community on I-10 located between El Paso and San Antonio. I've driven through it many times. It's, it's small and to have a body discovered there, I can only imagine what that did to the community. His body was discovered in January 1990, but sadly was not identified until 1992. And Walsh, after witnessing her husband's murder, was kept imprisoned and repeatedly tortured and raped by Rhodes for over a week as he drove across the country with her chained up in his self-made sleeper cab torture chamber. Now, according to investigators, he eventually killed her by shooting her several times in the head and then dumped her body near I-15 in Millard County, Utah. Her badly decomposed body wasn't discovered until October 1990 when deer hunters came across her remains at the mouth of a canyon 22 miles south of Fillmore, Utah. Her remains went unidentified for 13 years until Rhodes submitted to a DNA test in Livingston County, Illinois that eventually matched him to Walsh who had been identified through dental records. Now nearly a month later, Rhodes's next victim was an 18-year-old drifter named Shanna Holtz. He had picked her up near San Bernardino, California, near a truck stop restaurant. She was an experienced hitchhiker, and she was looking to get to Arkansas. Rhodes told her that he was going to Texas, but Shanna decided that taking the ride would get her at least partway to her destination, so she accepted. Once on the road, Shanna eventually fell asleep, and Rhodes felt like she had finally let her guard down long enough for him to make his move. So he stopped the truck very suddenly, causing Shanna to wake up and realize she was in so much danger. She tried to bolt and he attacked her by hitting her repeatedly in the face, handcuffed her to a bar hanging above her head, stripped off her clothes, chained her spread eagle. He held her hostage in his truck for weeks. Reports have indicated that as she was there as long as four weeks, where he tortured her, he raped her, he even shaved her head and her pubic area, which kind of became a signature move. He would also go on to do this to future victim Regina K. Walters. Uh, upon reaching Houston, Texas on February 5th, 1990, Rhodes stopped at his apartment. He allowed Shanna to bathe before he assaulted her again. There was just no, no stopping him. He later pulled into a brewery and left Shanna in the cab of the truck, telling her to be a good girl. But apparently, he hadn't counted on Holtz being the feisty survivor that she is, because even after weeks of unimaginable brutality, this girl proved him wrong by escaping the truck, running for her life to find the police as soon as Rhodes was out of sight. Rhodes was detained after Holtz... Uh, began to tell her story to the police, but she was so terrified and traumatized from her situation that as she was giving her statement, she went on record in her police report with Detective R.E. Bomar as saying, I don't see any good in filing charges. It's just going to be my word against his. If there was any evidence, I would file. I would file charges and sue him. And that statement right there just makes my heart break because... I can only assume that there was physical evidence on her on her body from what he had done to her, but she still felt like that wasn't enough to file charges and ensure that he would be convicted. And thank goodness 
That last part of her statement stuck with Detective Bomar because he reportedly made a note to keep an eye out for similar reports, which would prove extremely helpful in connecting Rhodes to other victims. So with Holtz's decision to not press charges, Rhodes was released and back out on the road, probably more confident than ever that he would never be caught, but also maybe not realizing that the walls were already starting to close in. Just a few days after his run-in with police in Houston, Rhodes came across 18-year-old Ricky Lee Jones and his 14-year-old girlfriend, Regina K. Walters. Regina came from a troubled home in Pasadena, Texas. Her sister had killed herself eight years before, and her brother was always seeming to have problems with the local authorities. She was living with her father, but had recently decided to move in with her mother just prior to her disappearance. Now, Ricky lived near Regina. They met secretly a couple times and decided that they were soulmates and to run away together like a regular Romeo and Juliet, and unfortunately the endings are pretty similar. And authorities believe they were hitchhiking to Mexico when they were picked up by Rhodes. Just three days after Regina moved into her mother's house, she and Jones were gone without a trace. It's suspected that much like Douglas Ziskowski, Jones was shot and killed immediately after Rhodes got them on the road. His body was later disposed of in Lamar County, Mississippi, and found on March 3rd, 1991. And he would actually not be identified until July 2008. And as if being murdered by a psychopath wasn't enough, authorities who had no idea what happened to Ricky Lee or Regina initially charged Ricky Lee with Regina's murder in absentia, meaning police were looking at him for the murder because he was the last one to be seen with her despite the fact that he himself was also missing. Um, obviously, these charges were dropped when Rhodes was apprehended and confessed to Regina's murder. But still, like, that just, that's like kicking somebody when they're down. Police had no other person to look at, I understand, but wow. Um, and again, like Candace Walsh, Regina was kept and subjected to abuse and endless assault by Rhodes for at least two weeks based on older and newer bruises found on her body. They can be seen in pictures that he took of her. Rhodes shaved her head. He pierced her with fish hooks. He beat her mercilessly shortly before her death in an abandoned Illinois farm in Bond County. He took pictures of her, some nude and some wearing a black dress and black shoes. And the particularly ominous and heartbreaking picture that I talked about in our first episode of part one shows Regina standing and facing the camera. Her arms are out in front of her in a defensive position and backing away from the camera as if to protect herself from her attacker. And again, I mean, her face in these pictures are just awful. You can see in her eyes she knows what's going to happen. She's already seen her boyfriend killed. She's already been subjected to all kinds of abuse. She is absolutely terrified. And I will never for the life of me understand how a person can inflict this kind of terror on another person. 
It was later revealed that Rhodes took this picture just moments before he would go on to strangle Regina using a loop of bailing wire that he attached to a wooden board, basically a makeshift garrote, which he then twisted 16 times. And after strangling Regina, he left her desecrated body behind for it to be discovered later at the barn. The barn is located just off Interstate 70, east of St. Louis. To further showcase what a truly evil person Rhodes is, he took it upon himself to make anonymous phone calls to Regina's father at home and at work. He even called Regina's grandmother. Just how sick are you? The phone call started about a month after Regina went missing, and according to the Tucson Weekly, the phone calls were made by an anonymous person, later discovered to be Rhodes, who was taunting her father and saying that he had the daughter, had his daughter. He was quoted as saying, I made some changes and I cut her hair. That's just absolutely spine chilling and creepy. And there's no evidence that Rhodes did this with any other victim uh, in that like, calling family or taunting family. There's no evidence. So this was brand new with Regina. Um, and as sadistic as Rhodes is, he's maybe not the brightest bulb in the box or it was just his complete and total narcissism that he wasn't counting on his calls being traceable because once he was arrested and his investigation was in full swing, police were able to trace the calls to the cities they were made in and then compare that to his timeline of where he was working since he had to keep track of his mile his miles his locations for work he had to keep a log that showed where he was going because he was still technically working and doing these long hauls and had to keep up all appearances even though he was committing all these crimes but it actually ended up doing him in a little bit judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Finally, we've arrived at April 1st, 1990. Thank God. On this day near Casa Grande, Arizona, it's about 50 miles southeast of Phoenix, an Arizona highway patrolman named Mike Miller and his partner came across a semi-truck that was pulled over on the side of I-10 with its hazard lights going. Now, I've been up and down that highway many times when I was in the Air Force. Some stretches are so desolate and empty, it can really feel like you were driving through a horror movie. And that just makes this next part all the more ominous if it had gone wrong. Thankfully it didn't, but let's just trying to paint a picture here. Initially, the patrolman had just wanted to ask the driver of the truck to move it a little more off the road to avoid being hit by passing traffic. Now, as patrolman Miller approached the cab, he failed to see a driver, so he began to walk around to the back of the truck. And what he discovered there was probably the last thing he thought he would see. As he reached the rear of the truck, he saw the doors were open, and when he peered inside, he saw Lisa Pinnell, 
naked, gagged, and chained to the inside of the truck. And how terrifying is it to think that if Rhodes had been in the cab of his truck, or if he had had time to pull his weapon on the officers, he most likely would have been able to either drive away without incident while Lisa was still in the back, or kill these officers because they hadn't had a chance to call for backup yet. They didn't know what they were coming on. And then again, drive away with poor Lisa chained up in the back, death and almost certainty for her. But thankfully this wasn't the case because as soon as Lisa saw the officers, she began screaming as loud as she could. And Rhodes began to approach the back of the truck and reportedly he was very calm, like almost callously calm stating to the officers, quote, it's all right, officer, everything's fine. As if Miller and his partner were simply going to take him at his word and drive off into the sunset, leaving poor Lisa chained up with a demented Rhodes for him to continue his reign of terror. Like, the narcissism is mind-blowing. The ego is mind-blowing. For him to walk up and say, it's all right, everything's fine, and expect that these two men, they're sworn to protect everyone they come across who's in danger. And Rhodes thought that they were just gonna maybe walk away and ignore what they had just seen. But that was not the case. Rhodes was immediately taken into custody. He was patted down, handcuffed, and placed in the patrol car as Miller waited for backup. And as if this whole story wasn't creepy enough, soon after Miller went um, back to the patrol car he was going to check on Rhodes and discovered that Rhodes had wiggled his handcuffs around his legs so that they were now in front of him instead of behind him and that again is just so creepy because if you know god forbid maybe the patrol car door wasn't shut all the way or somehow Rhodes was able to get out of the vehicle and come up behind one of the officers and attack them like it's just Thankfully, everything in this situation appears to have gone right because one slight misstep could have ended so badly. Um, once backup arrived, Rhodes was taken to the police station and Lisa began to tell her horrific story. Like Shanna, Lisa was tough and street smart. She also allegedly struggled with mental illness and was a professional hitchhiker, but Rhodes just saw her as another target. She had um, accepted a ride from him at a truck stop outside Phoenix, and again, Rhodes waited until she let her guard down and fell asleep. And when Lisa woke up, she found herself stripped of her clothes and chained in the back of the truck. I don't know how he was able to do this without her waking up. I have suspicions that maybe while she was asleep, he hit her on the head to avoid having a similar situation like Shanna, where he had to basically punch her and hit her as hard as he could in her head until she submitted. Um, I'm guessing he learned from his quote-unquote mistake. Um, she told officers how Rhodes had been torturing her and torturing her, doing everything that we've heard him do to the other victims, but she also was able to fight back. She bit him on the arm, she scratched up his face, she explained how he had used metal clamps on her nipples and that he had a whole bunch of other gruesome tools that he kept inside his murder kit. Now, upon hearing about Pinnell's experience and Rhodes' arrest, 
You'll remember Detective Bomar from Shanna Holt's case. He heard about it, noticed a possible connection between the two cases, and called Detective Rick Barnhart in Arizona. Now, between the two of them, they compared notes and decided that Rhodes was most likely far more dangerous than they realized, to the point where they strongly believed he may have actually murdered someone and thought that warranted a more thorough investigation. And by this point, we all know that this is true, but huge round of applause to these detectives for pulling their resources and then deciding to contact the FBI about Rhodes. Now, the FBI got involved because his crimes crossed state lines, making it more, um, I guess, a federal case. And the only way he was going to be captured and kept off the streets was by all these different law enforcement agencies teaming up to get the job done. Um, it was this decision that allowed them to obtain a search warrant for his apartment in Houston. Uh, they found photographs of his murder victims and a camera with film inside his truck. They also found blood-soaked towels, handcuffs, whips, and women's underwear all over his apartment. They even found pictures of a young girl. A young girl wearing a black dress with short, dark hair. Now, we know these pictures were of Regina K. Walters, but it was nearly a year before police could connect those pictures to Regina's remains. Investigators even found Regina's notebook um, in Rhodes's possession, which sure enough had her father's phone number and her grandmother's phone number written down inside. Just more evidence against him and proof that he made those menacing calls to Regina's family that eventually helped uh, law enforcement get a, convic a conviction. So take that, you pompous asshat. <laughs> uh, a second search of Rhodes's truck offered even more evidence of his heinous crimes as officers found the infamous murder kit that Lisa had described. The kit was characterized as sophisticated and very well maintained. It was a briefcase that contained whips, chains, a horse bridle that was shoved into his victim's mouths, cords, dildos, leashes, and the metal clips that Lisa had told police about. He even used pins and fish hooks on his victim's genitals. In 1996, Detective Barnhart told the Tucson Weekly that Rhodes, quote, took good care of the contents of that briefcase. It was just very well cared for and everything was placed neatly, end quote. Rhodes was charged with the kidnapping of Lisa Pinnell and as he was serving time in Arizona, authorities in Illinois worked tirelessly to build a case against him for Regina's murder. They used evidence found in his apartment, in particular, the pictures of Regina at the abandoned barn to link him to her death. Once he realized how much they had against him, he struck a plea bargain for first-degree murder and agreed to a life sentence without parole to avoid the death penalty. Now, Rhodes, of course, refused to disclose further details of other crimes he committed and seemed to be content to continue living the high life in prison when he was soon charged with the murders of Patricia Walsh and Scott Ziskowski. Now, originally in 2005, Authorities in Utah had charged Rhodes with capital murder for the killing of Patricia. So Rhodes had been extradited to Utah to await trial, but again, teamwork makes the dream work in this case, and at the behest of the victim's families, they later dismissed that charge in Utah so that Texas 
could have a shot at him since they had filed murder charges for both Patricia and her husband, Scott. In justifying this change, Assistant Utah Attorney General Creighton Horton stated that this decision, quote, spares the victims having to go through all the proceedings here and then do it all again in Texas. Amen, Mr. Horton. Just get the job done. Doesn't matter who gets credit. The fact of the matter is that Rhodes will never be on the road again. So with that, Rhodes was extradited to Texas, and in March 2012, at age 65, Rhodes, in another effort to sidestep the death penalty because he's a coward, he chose to avoid a jury trial, shocking, and pled guilty to two counts of capital murder for the deaths of Patricia Walsh and Scott Siskowski over 20 years after he murdered them. He was given two life sentences, so in addition to the life sentence for Regina's murder, there is some solace in the fact that Rhodes will never again be a free man. And since he was already serving life in Illinois for Regina's murder, Rhodes was brought back to the Menard Correctional Center in Chester, Illinois, where he will live out the rest of his life behind bars, safely kept away from the rest of us. Thank goodness, what a monster. But the case doesn't end here. In 2015, a woman named Pamela Milliken discovered a photo of herself from 1985 that had been posted by international law enforcement agencies. This photo was from the same roll of film that contained pictures of Regina K. Walters. When she realized how close she came to becoming another victim of Robert Ben Rhodes, she told ID Discovery her story of how she ended up in Rhodes' truck, but somehow emerged unharmed. In 1985, Pamela was hitchhiking up to Winnipeg to find her brother when Rhodes offered her a ride. He took her picture and when she asked why, he claimed it was a way to keep track of his passengers in case something happened to him. <laughs> That's rich. Um, Pamela said Rhodes told her that he was going to Florida and he wanted her to go with him, but at a price. And she remembered that he pointed to a sign on his dashboard that said, cash grass or ass no one rides for free and since she didn't have any money and she didn't smoke pot she realized there was only one option if she was going to get this ride she described the encounter as consensual and then Rhodes dropped her off at a bus depot in winnipeg and pamela's story isn't the only one like this if you have time go check out the october 2012 gq article titled The Truck Stop Killer by Vanessa Veselka. She too had a close encounter with Rhodes back in 1985, but managed to escape after he threatened her with a hunting knife and told her to run. Basically, she had been picked up. He pulled a knife on her and told her to go into the back, into the sleeper cab, and she refused. She was talking, saying anything she could to convince him not to, saying, you know, this is your decision. You don't have to do this and he must have got frustrated or realized that maybe it wasn't worth the effort and pointed the knife at her and told her to run. So she did, she got out of the cab, she ran, she hid in the woods until the truck pulled away. It's insane. The, the fear, the indeterminate killing, the freaking ego this guy had to do what he did to so many women year after year and probably for the most part believed that he would never be caught. It's just unbelievable. 
And although there are only three confirmed murders attributed to Rhodes through his convictions, the actual number of hitchhikers and prostitutes that he tortured and most likely killed could be well into the 50s. Since he claims he's been active for 15 years, or he had been active for 15 years prior to his capture in 1990, that would start his span of crimes as far back as 1975, which is when he began working as a truck driver. And authorities believe that at his peak, he may have killed up one to three women a month. It's possible. I don't know. But like they have, um, I guess, associated him with up to 50 unsolved murders. It's just think of all those families who have no idea what happened to their loved ones. And he could possibly be responsible for some or possibly all of them. It's really hard to say. And my heart breaks for them. I also have to wonder, did he begin driving a truck because he needed a job? Or was it more of a way to find people whose society unfortunately wouldn't maybe miss as much? Just so he could satisfy his sadistic sexual cravings? Or was it both? I don't know. Regardless of the why, Rhodes was obviously active for a very long time and even had a few brushes with the law in the late 1980s up through his arrest in 1990, including, and get this, he was arrested for aggravated assault, sexual assault, and unlawful imprisonment. And this is in addition to being detained and almost caught when Shanna Holmes identified him as the man who held her captive and tortured her. So how on earth did Rhodes seem to slip through the cracks? I have no idea, but eventually, thankfully, his luck ran out and one fateful kidnapping on the side of I-10 would eventually lead to law enforcement capturing and convicting a serial killer that haunted the highways for years. But it's over. He's in prison. Well, friends, that's it. That is the story of Robert Ben Rhodes, the nefarious truck stop killer. I'm glad we made it. I, I'm glad that's over. What a god-awful sick piece of work he is. Good Lord. <laughs> I think I might need a drink. I think you might need a drink, too. Let's go get drinks. If you haven't heard enough about Robert Ben Rhodes, maybe you have. I hope you have. But if you haven't heard enough then go check out the book Roadside Prey by Alva Bush. It's, uh, it's pretty interesting. It's a good read if you're into this kind of stuff. I've also listed all the brilliant minds and resources that I used to create this episode on this episode's post on the Mask of Sanity Facebook page, and it's also in the episode notes if you'd like to check out some of these resources yourself. I really couldn't have made this story and created it without all the hard work and research that other people have done on this case. So a huge, huge, huge thank you to them. And if you liked what you heard, again, please go and rate and review Mask of Sanity on whatever platform you're listening. Also check out our Instagram at Mask of Sanity, the podcast and Twitter at Mask Sanity pod. Again, I'll be posting updates on upcoming episodes little teasers, uh, you know, piquing your interest of what's in store for you. There's also the Patreon page. The link is in the 
uh, profile of the Mask of Sanity podcast Instagram page. I really just want to be able to give you all more true crime, the best true crime possible. Um, So if you want to support, head on over to the Patreon website, search for Mask of Sanity. There's lots of different perks. There are postcards, full bonus episodes, many episodes, which once I start doing them, um, they will be a recent true crime story in the news right now. Just a little 5, 10, maybe 15 if it's super interesting episode. So that's, if you can't get enough, then go sign up, become a become a Patreon supporter of Mask of Sanity, and I will love you forever. Um, basically, the more supporters I get, the more episodes I'll be able to produce for you. So it's win-win. Again, I'm just, I'm so, so grateful for all of you. Thank you so much for listening. I love you all for your support. It's wonderful. Like, share, post, comment. The more people hear about this podcast, the bigger it's going to get. And you can all be there from the beginning. And it's just, it's wonderful. You're wonderful human beings. Thank you so much. Join me next week when I take on the case of Velma Barfield, a serial killer accused of poisoning her victims and the first woman to be executed by lethal injection. Yikes. Until next time, stay safe, friends. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.